Charles, oddly absent, his gaze set high above him. These are the words I wrote in the last paragraph of the previous chapter. But what was he looking at up there? A tiny thing fluttered beneath the ceiling, a very small white feather that slowly hovered, floated downward, then upward. Behind the long table covered with platters, bottles, and glasses, Charles stood motionless, his head slightly tilted back, while one after another the guests, intrigued by his stance, began to follow his gaze. Watching the little feather's wanderings, Charles felt a stab of anguish. It struck him that the angel he had thought about these past weeks was alerting him that it was already somewhere here, very nearby. Perhaps, frightened, before it was to be flung out of heaven, it had let loose from its wing this tiny, barely visible feather, like a wisp of its anxiety, like a memory of the happy life it had shared with the stars. Like a calling card meant to explain its arrival, and declare the approaching end. But Charles was not yet ready to face the end. He would have liked to put it off for later. The image of his ailing mother rose up before him, and his heart clenched. Still, the feather was there. It rose and fell. While at the far side of the salon, Madame Franck was also looking up toward the ceiling. She raised a hand with the index finger outstretched, offering the feather a place to land. But the feather avoided Lefranc's finger and went on its wandering way. The End of a Daydream Above Lefranc's left hand, the feather continued to wander, and I imagine some twenty men who gathered around a long table focused their own gaze upward though no feather is floating there. They are all the more uncertain and nervous because the thing they fear stands neither before them, like an enemy that could be killed, nor beneath them, like a snare the secret police could thwart, but somewhere above them, like a threat, an invisible, incorporeal, incomprehensible, ungraspable, unpunishable, mischievously mysterious threat. A few of them rise from their seats without knowing where they mean to go. I see Stalin, impassive, seated at the end of the long table, growling, Calm down, you cowards! What are you afraid of? Then, in a louder voice, Sit down! The meeting is not over! At the window, Molotov murmurs, Joseph, something is brewing! There's talk they're going to knock down your statues. Then, under Stalin's mocking gaze, under the weight of his silence, he docilely lowers his head and goes back to sit down at the table. When all of them have returned to their places, Stalin says, That's called the end of a daydream. All daydreams come to an end. It's always as unexpected as it is inevitable. Don't you know that, you morons? All the men keep silent, except Kalinin, who is incapable of controlling himself, and proclaims loudly, Whatever happens, Kaliningrad will always be Kaliningrad. For good reason. 
and I am pleased to know that Kant's name will forever be bound to yours, Stalin answers, increasingly amused. Because, you know, Kant fully deserves it. And his laugh, at once forlorn and gay, roams the big room for a long while.